Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrological forecast for the entire month of June of 2022. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Catherine Urban. Uh, welcome, both of you. Hey. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us as a guest co-host for this month. Um, first, let me show the astrological alignments calendar for this month, just to give an overview of what we'll be talking about. Then we'll introduce Catherine. We'll do a little bit of a review at the beginning of this episode of things that happened in the astrology and the news over the past month. And then eventually we'll jump into the astrological forecast for the month of June. So um, here is a diagram for those watching the video version of the movements of the planets and where they'll start at the very beginning of the month, and then how far through each of the signs of the zodiac they'll get by the end of the month. Here's the planetary alignments calendar, which shows planetary stations as well as lunations and ingresses, or the movement of planets into different signs of the zodiac. So we started off with the month at the very top of June with Mercury stationing direct in the sign of Taurus and ending its three-week retrograde period on the 3rd of June. Pretty much simultaneously, we have Saturn stationing retrograde on the 4th of June, pretty closely squaring Mercury, which I think we'll focus in on a lot, that combination at the very beginning of the month. Then a couple of weeks later, Mercury ingresses or moves into the sign of Gemini, its home sign, on the 13th of June. The next day, we have our first lunation of the month, which is a full moon in the sign of Sagittarius on the 14th. The following week, on the 21st, the Sun ingresses into the sign of Cancer, which is the beginning of Cancer season and the beginning of the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Then the very next day, Venus moves into the sign of Gemini on the 22nd. We get our second lunation of the month, which is a new moon in Cancer on the 28th, and the same day, Neptune stations retrograde in the sign of Pisces. So those are some of the major configurations and ingresses we're going to be talking about this month in June. Um, let's see, before we get there, so welcome, Catherine. You're joining us as a co-host, guest co-host this month for the first time ever. You and Nick Dig and Best and I, and a couple of months ago, did a really amazing episode on secondary progressions, and I had such a fun time doing that with you that I thought it'd be good to do a forecast with you today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Chris. Um, that episode was super fun, and of course, it's exciting to be back here for the forecast. June is looking interesting. Yeah, it's a good month to join us for this, I think. Um, and you actually do your own private forecasts on your own YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash Catherine Urban, right? Yeah, I do weekly videos. Um, I call them astrology shots. I try to keep the videos brief and I cover sort of aspect by aspect. And I try to pinpoint and feature the ones that are sort of the biggest deal of the week. Brilliant. I love that. Um, and there's just a quick snapshot of that in your videos. Um, cool. And we're doing a forecast today in Austin. You are getting ready to go to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is the first in-person astrology conference that's happened in a few years or the first major one. Uh, you're leaving like tomorrow, right? Yeah, I'll be uh, already be in Seattle in 24 hours. Awesome. So yeah, by the time this uh this is released, you're going to be like knee deep in astrology conference and uh, giving lectures and workshops in the whole nine yards. Indeed, indeed, yeah. It's um, the the big the my big workshop, my like five hours workshop is the very. It's actually before the first day, so be uh, starting off with a bang. Yeah, it's nice to 
do the best thing like and the most laborious thing like right at the beginning yeah it makes the uh, like giving just you know hour 15 lectures seem like nothing yeah like a kick whereas if i was waiting for that if that was looming the entire time i was there it would be haunting <laughs> my every right. moment right yeah, I think at the last Norwalk, you and I did a post-conference, like at the end of the conference, and that was a long thing to do an entire conference first and then do a workshop. Um, anyway, so let's do some review first a little bit and talk about some news stories and some astrology that has happened over the past month, as we always do, as we sort of check in with you know, what happened, what some of our predictions were, and how that manifested, as well as just news stories that came up and what their astrological tie-ins were. So one of the biggest things that happened over the last month and one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about of course in the last episode was that there was a um, two major eclipses that happened over the course of the past month one of them in the sign of Taurus and the other in the sign of Scorpio um, so I actually went out and took some pictures so I was going to show some pictures of the lunar eclipse in Scorpio that happened in the middle of the month just because it was such a striking visual phenomenon. like I never get over how striking eclipses are, not just solar eclipses where it's just obviously you know, the middle of the day and then all of a sudden the moon moves in front of the sun and it becomes like nighttime in the middle of the day. But what happens during a lunar eclipse, people often don't realize is actually very, very similar where the moon is bright and it's shining and it's at its fullest and then all of a sudden it starts being eclipsed, like literally a shadow starts moving across it, and then eventually it becomes like a quarter of the way, then half of the way dark, then eventually the entire thing gets darkened, and it goes from a bright full moon to almost like a dark new moon. And then in this instance, it actually became red, and it had this like reddish color to it at the very height of the lunar eclipse. So it really reminded me of the whole notion of the nodes and how the nodes are associated with dragons because um, it kind of looks like somebody was like taking bites out of the moon basically or like a chunk out of the moon once you're part of the way through until eventually the entire thing just disappears as if it's getting eaten or swallowed up whole. And I thought that was an interesting sort of reflection as I was sitting there watching this happen live over the course of a few hours and just thinking about some of the ancient imagery that's associated with the eclipses and with nodes yeah and they're you know although dragon or serpent is the most common motif there are other cultures that have like a different giant scary celestial beast that that devours the sun and the moon interesting wolves interesting. and um jaguars and other other critters okay yeah, and the other thing that was really notable about it is just in my city in Denver where you could see the eclipse as it was happening and it was pretty far up there in the sky and visible, I, I looked around and there was just like tons of people that came outside or just stopped what they were doing to watch it. And it's very rare that you see you know, everybody in the same city just stop what they're doing and all focus their in intention or focus their attention on the same thing. It's kind of a weird phenomenon in that way where everyone suddenly like realizes there's something extraordinary happening or something unusual that's out of the ordinary that sort of like demands or, or commands their attention. Um, and there's there's something that's striking about it just for that reason of thinking of how many people are just paying attention to the same thing. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they're, the eclipses are by far the most visually dramatic astrological, astronomical event that happens on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're really, really profound alignments, too. Like you're saying, Chris, like it doesn't matter what your um, astronomical or astrological interest is. Like they're extremely compelling. But the more you know about the mechanics of them and how they work, I think the even more mesmerizing they are. Like the fact that the sun and moon just happen to be the exact same size from our geocentric point of view, it seems too perfect to be a coincidence to me. To me, it's something really sublime and something I continue to be in awe of. And if you get the chance to see a total, you should definitely put that on the bucket list. Life-changing. Yeah. I've heard of like astronomers that are like eclipse chasers that will like go to different parts, travel to different parts of the world just in order to view a complete solar eclipse or a total solar eclipse. Yeah, they're called umbrophiles. Okay, nice. <laughs> well, you know, we got to see one of those in most of the United States in 2017. Yeah, in 2017. The, I remember, the, remember what happy times that brought? The great, the great American eclipse. Yeah, which was in the first, it was like six months into Trump's presidency, which was one of the things I always thought about or associated with that eclipse. There's going to be another one, April 8th, 2024. It's going to go right over Cleveland too. All the Cleveland pre-show chat. Yeah, it's going right over my house. So April 8th, 2024, it's going to split the country in half again. Nice. <laughs> Metaphorically. Uh, hopefully just metaphorically, but that of course will also be, you mentioning 2024, that'll be six months in the lead up to the 2024 presidential election. I'm sure everyone will be at peace and have come to accord by 2024. That seems like a, you know, I mean, what is, is there anything happening that year that would bring people together? Yeah. We'll just, oh, elections, and, elections bring people together. Yeah, we'll all be sitting around singing Kumbaya uh, when that eclipse happens, I'm sure, two years from now. I'm calling it now. That's my prediction. So um, here is the eclipses calendar that Paula Bellomini made for us that shows those first two eclipses that just took place. Um, and you always have to remember, though, that eclipses are part of a series and a sequence of eclipses that will keep bouncing back and forth and taking place in the same two sets of signs, in this case, Taurus and Scorpio in six-month increments. So whatever the keyword I always use for eclipses is major beginnings and major endings. Um, whatever sense of major beginnings and endings for many people or for some people, especially with fixed angles uh, that this started or coincided with over the past month, You'll probably see another sequence of events connected to that in six months' time later this year, uh, between October 25th and November 8th, or around that time frame, when we get the next set of eclipses in the signs of Scorpio and Taurus. Um, it was actually kind of, it's been almost, I don't want to say um, hilarious, because that's not the right term, but just seeing so many people with major fixed placements um, having major shakeups and major endings or major beginnings in their life over the course of the past month. It's been really striking to see that myself of just like different people I know. Did you guys witness any interesting things like that in terms of clients or, or people you know having major eclipse stories that opened up at that time? What I can say is that 
there's a lot happening for the fixed signs right now. And my theory on that is that eclipse, like the fixed signs are the most stable and steady and the least movable. And so you really need a lot, a lot of repetitive punches, so to speak, in order to get, or illuminations, in order to encourage that fixed energy to shift. Like uh, fixed placements need to be really, really, really sure that changing, making that big change is going to be worth it. So I think that between Saturn, Uranus, and the eclipses, it's, it's sort of building and I am starting to see people finally take that big brave leap that they've been sort of talking themselves up to for a while now. Yeah, I think I, one of the things we said last month that I think came strikingly true is that we kind of suspected that even though the Saturn Uranus square that was so prominent last year and is supposedly like, you know, further away now and is 10 degrees away. Um, one of the things we suspected is that the eclipses were going to reactivate that square and tie it back together and perhaps even accelerate some of the changes that were indicated or the disruptions that were indicated by that Saturn-Uranus square in and of itself. And that's really happened, I think, in a major way, not just in people's individual lives and birth charts, but also in mundane events in terms of, for example, like the economy and things really starting to to tank or become much more destabilized over the course of the past few weeks. Is that something you're following pretty closely, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that literally the whole time. Um, <laughs> I was like, 2022 is more Saturn Uranus than 2021. Um, the the North Node, like the, add that Rahu steroid bo boost to Uranus is uh, just can't be denied. And now we've seen the first injection the first cycle, if you will, <laughs> and it's pretty obvious. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the the supply disruption stuff that's just a, a literally a standard, uh, historically standard Uranus and Taurus thing, um, and like volatility of commodity prices, all this normal Uranus and Taurus stuff has just been taken up to the next level. Um, yeah, you have the, the volatility of the market, you have you know, is Bitcoin worth everything? Is it worth nothing? Um, just all the stuff, you know? For sure. I've noticed the same thing. And and I think also with the great resignation, I think a lot of that is really ramping up now that the Saturn Uranus square is involved with the nodes and the eclipses, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, the like Uranus, Taurus and like, um, the mobilization or radicalization of labor, 100%. And again, that's stuff we saw pretty clearly last year. Um, but instead of quieting down as Saturn and Uranus, like, got a little space, right? It's um, shadow dragon, you know, roid time. Yeah, just imagine, you know, the poison is associated with both of the nodes. So I always, as an exercise, I like to imagine, like, what kind of poison is in the dragon's fangs and what is in its stinger tail, right? And I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's like a combination of ecstasy and um, steroids that's in the head. <laughs> yeah, so that was, so eclipses we have now confirmed do put like a nitro boost on top of whatever especially outer planet configurations they're tied into. And certainly having the, you know, we had a Taurus eclipse, a lunar eclipse last November, and that one was also visible. 
but it was still finishing up the Sagittarius Gemini series. So this was the first time that we also got the other end of that and the other shoe dropped with the Scorpio uh, eclipse or the other side of that really beginning this eclipse series. So it was interesting seeing it come into full effect at this point rather than just getting this sort of inkling of it that we got late last year. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it's literally every, in any direction that you look you uh, over the last month, you can see that uh, the, the symbolism of that, you know, the Uranus, Saturn stuff everywhere, right? Whether it's economically or, you know, wherever. Um, and so it's really interesting to have that going on, which is a lot in and of itself, but to have that um, overlapping with Mercury retrograde, right? Because we had, you know, there were also huge Mercury retrograde stories, right? Like just, um, so let's see, like there was the like, I don't know, is Elon Musk going to buy Twitter or not, right? right. There was the like, and then, the, and then uh, back, backtracking on it. Yeah, and then there was the the leak about the um, the Supreme Court uh, leak with like pretty big maybe right, and then you also had um, oh the U.S. government it was like now there's going to be a misinformation czar or head person, and now there's not right like literally about controlling the flow of information like all he like big Mercury retrograde stuff. Did yeah, you- that. Go ahead. I was going to say, did you see the George Bush Freudian slip? Oh, that was, uh, please, please, uh, please share. That was pretty incredible. Yeah, George Bush was giving a speech and trying to condemn Putin and saying, like, this guy went into this country and invaded. And then he said Iraq. Yeah, it was like the unlawful invasion of Iraq. (laughs) <laughs> and then he like went with it though. And I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, he does have some Gemini placements if I'm remembering his chart correctly. Uh, and he kind of just rolled with it and he laughed at himself and he was like, well, I'm in my seventies. And yeah, it was pretty great though. One one of the best Mercury retrograde slips I've seen in a while. I mean, he's sort of the king of those. If you know, if you look back at his presidency, yeah, his, they published his oratory like entire, his time in office. They they published entire books on that called like Bushisms of just like his flubs of and slip is, ups of is stuff. Is the children learning and all that? Yeah, yeah. Um, good times. And then I, that's funny that you mentioned because we mentioned the Twitter deal that had just come out last month. I think the same day that we did the last forecast, Austin, and then. That's actually a good example of a Mercury retrograde where sometimes early in a Mercury retrograde you'll do something, but then it'll be, you'll either have to redo it or sometimes it's taken back. And and now the price of Twitter has like tanked over the course of the past month, as have a bunch of different tech stocks um, for different companies like Apple and, and Amazon, Netflix, etc. And so it's almost like he's trying to to backtrack out of the deal at this point because it's much less financially makes less sense even than it did when he proposed it a month ago. Um, yeah. And so I look forward, you know, so some of these, um, some of these Mercury retrograde um, uh, stories already have an ending, but some of these are, are pretty open-ended. And so I'm certainly looking forward to Mercury going direct in early June and then, you know, crossing that same set of degrees for a third time to like, get us back like so what's actually going on um with roe like what's actually going on with twitter what's actually you know what are because again these are very large maybes and i i was thinking about so why are they large maybes every you know mercury's retrograde every four months it's not always as big a deal these are large things um and i think part of it is 
with Mercury stationing in early Gemini and going back to like the mid last decade of Taurus, um, like um, Mercury uh, is making three aspects to Jupiter and um, basically making three aspects to Saturn and the North Node or really close to the North Node. Um, so, we, you know, that Mercury is pinging Jupiter and Saturn. Right, Jupiter and Saturn together sort of create the entire world. Right, the, they're the two visible, long, slow cycle um, planets. So these are all like, you know, big, slow-moving, important issues. Yeah, and let's we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Mercury station at the beginning once we get to the forecast. So before we fully get there, let's finish the review because the last point, one that's been mentioned already a couple of times, that was major news over the past month was the Roe versus Wade decision where um, I guess the sequence of events was that the Supreme Court, a, a, a written uh, preliminary document of a decision that's probably going to come out soon was leaked by somebody in the Supreme Court that indicated that they were going to strike down or, or essentially reverse the Roe versus Wade decision, which was the ruling decades ago in the United States that legalized abortion. And this is actually something we talked about in the year ahead forecast um, way back in December because we primarily associated with at the time, because we knew that the the case was going to be heard, I think, starting back in December, and that that was going to start, we noted, under the Venus retrograde in Pluto. Um, and Lisa Schein pointed out to me that the written document that was le leaked over the past few weeks, that it was written up, or the date on it had a date of February 10th. So a lot of the discussions that were happening surrounding that or that document evidently went back to February February of 2022, and that was back in the tail end of Venus um, being retrograde or finishing up its retrograde cycle in the sign of Capricorn, where it was still with Pluto, co-present with Pluto, and also conjoining Mars. So, um, you know, and on the one hand, the Venus-Pluto symbolism made sense, or, or we talked about it making sense in the year-ahead forecast because of having to do with topics of like life and death. Um, but also issues of like control of like women's bodies and things like that, which are all very Plutonian type themes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was noticing too that the day of the leak, um, the day we all learned about it was when Venus ingressed into Aries. And not only was Venus entering the sign of her detriment, but I thought that that was very symbolic of Venus having to do with um, largely there's there's a correspondence with women, but I think Venus also has a lot to do with sexuality. And, you know, the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is sort of the tip of the iceberg for a lot of other issues, uh, being that Roe v. Wade is rooted in privacy in the sense that a person's right to choose for their own medical uh, decisions is 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 supposed to be private. Like the government, there's certain things that the government can't have say over. That's the whole idea of privacy, and so that brings into question a lot of other things. Um, so yeah, this this definitely affects women, but it also affects um, people with uteruses. It affects, and it could potentially affect a lot a lot of people. So I thought that that was interesting, and I also thought it was sort of a a prequel to Jupiter and Aries too. Um, something that we're going to be seeing a lot with that transit. Cause that was another thing that happened uh, recently. <laughs> yeah, that was, ingress. yeah. Yeah. That was, an, um, right. That, that, that was a very significant ingress last month. 
Right. Well, and if we look from, so Jupiter sort of on, in its own place, um, like its root significations is it likes to create, you know, accord and peace and justice and chill. Um, but what does Jupiter do in a Mars ruled sign? Right. Like Jupiter, Jupiter carries with it a, a very strong moral component, right? Jupiter is very interested in what, what's right. Right. Um, you know, it's associated with law and religion and all of the human arts and sciences um, for figuring out what what might be the right thing to do. And so but and so it carries that sort of moral onus into, you know, a much more combative sign. Right. Um, Aries is hands down more combative than Pisces. Right. So it's, um, you know, in some ways. Um, you know, Jupiter and Aries is very much a like have it out over what's right, right? Or it's like let's have a you know let's let's have a fight over what's right and what's not. It's a very outspoken and very opinionated placement and energy, and I think Jupiter and Aries is also a very independent thinker. It's not afraid to stand out. It's not afraid to. It's prepared to make some enemies. It's prepared to be disagreed with, and it it kind of gets off on it. I think Jupiter and Aries likes a little bit of um, banter there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, like Jupiter in Aries is not nearly as concerned with consensus as Jupiter in Pisces or Sag. Right, Sag is fiery, but it wants to bring everybody around to the same point of view. Whereas Jupiter and Aries is just fine with um with people being on the other side and i think part of connected back to what i was saying last month part of what jupiter and aries teaches is sort of how to be in conflict or combat or in a situation um where there where consensus isn't possible yeah it's fun uh, last month when i did the aries episode one of the things i thought was so interesting was just aries energy being the person sometimes the person in the room that says the thing that everybody's thinking but like nobody wants to say in polite company or nobody wants to be the one to stand up and tell somebody else you know to sit down if they need to or to just like say the thing which sometimes can be blunt or sometimes can be very rough around the edges and uncalled for to like do the uncalled for thing but otherwise sometimes um, can be the called for thing as well and the line between those two is sometimes hard to figure out i think for aries yeah well uh, we were uh, i forget who brought it up but last month we talked about jupiter and aries and the power of aries of being first right and that's that's another angle on what you're saying like the first to say a thing um even you know even if plenty of people have been thinking it yeah and the that there can be a, a danger to that sometimes. Sometimes it's like what's necessary in order to move things forward, and other times it can be not necessary and can just be um, stirring the pot like unnecessarily. So with Jupiter, though, we bring concepts of an ideological component and like beliefs and other things into that, which can be divisive and. Um, yeah, that can that can be tricky. So, sort of divisiveness when it comes to political philosophy, um, in this instance. Yeah, I think Jupiter and Aries is unafraid to go rogue, and yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more people sort of veering away from affiliations and 
sort of going out on a limb and being able to speak their truth, whatever that may be. It makes sense. Yeah, bravery is definitely one of the Jupiter and Aries gifts. One of the things I was thinking about a lot recently at the ninth house uh, in noticing somebody go through like a political transformation was that connection that astrologers always talk about where politics, when the politics are associated with the ninth house, but also religion is associated with the ninth house. And oftentimes we think about those being just like separate things. And we think about our political views being so rational and like logical and that we're making these based on rational deductions, but we don't often acknowledge or realize the extent to which our our political beliefs are very much tied in with and not that dissimilar with almost like religious beliefs and can sometimes be influenced by things as simple as you know what you grew up with and like your family background and things like that influencing what direction you go politically or what you choose to believe or that sometimes like going through a major political um, transformation can be like going through religious transformation and there can be a very similar um, thing when it comes to the ideology and things like that. It's not always simply about morals, but morals can be more influenced by our beliefs and less by logic than we, we sometimes think. Yeah, well, I think um, it all ties back to sort of what you think is real, right? What How your model for the world, which is how I treat the ninth house a lot, is like, what does a person think is real? Right. And based on what you think is real, your model of reality, um, they're, they're, they're going to be, depending on the picture you arrive at um, or consume, um, there are going to be certain ethical, um, how should we say, ethical musts that arise from every picture. Like an idea of the world, a worldview, is not ethically inert. If you think that X, then it makes sense to do Y. And that's right. all, you know, it's ninth house. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, that's, and, and, and that notion of like action, acting on one's beliefs or acting on one's philosophy or, or in some instance, politics and a sort of political activism, that might be a good keyword as we're thinking about what um, Jupiter in Aries is all about this year, especially now that Mars has literally in the past few minutes ingressed into Aries and we're going to see it amplifying some of that. Um, stuff that Jupiter is doing in that sign. So with that, maybe it's a good time to transition into talking about the forecast since we're about 30 minutes into the episode. Um, shall we start talking about June? All right. All right. So pulling up the alignments calendar again, the very first thing that we have to talk about and focus on at the top of the month is that Mercury, which is recently retrograded, stationed retrograde in Gemini, and it retrograded back into Taurus. And on the 3rd of June, it's going to be stationing direct late in Taurus at 26 degrees. And something that's tied into that that seems very important is that Saturn is pretty much simultaneously stationing retrograde towards the end of Aquarius, where it's squaring Mercury. And that's pretty important and notable because that's actually very, very similar to what happened um, at the end of 2020, around the time of the 2020 presidential election in November, is we had something very similar, just in the opposite sign, where Mercury went retrograde and it stationed um, direct, but it stationed direct very closely squaring Saturn, I think pretty much like on election day in the US in November of 2020. 
And what ended up happening is these themes that are associated with um, slowness and delays, which is both a Mercury retrograde thing, it's a Mercury stationary thing, but it's also a Mercury-Saturn thing. Um, all of that got compounded and we had this delays in this long drawn out process of the counting and the tallying of the votes so that it wasn't immediately known on election day what the outcome of the election was. And it wasn't known fully until several days days, or in some weeks, like some instances, like weeks later. Um, so we might see similar things coming up here with Mercury stationing, squaring Saturn. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. You know, and we're, we're talking about some of these like pending um pending maybes that mercury retrograde um posed uh over the course of may and probably some of the mercury direct result will be um check in next week or the next week or later it might be the announcement of delays mm -hmm. yeah and this is quite a layered configuration because not only do you have two planets standing still and effectively reversing um, within a day of each other and in a tight square to one another, but there's also eclipse activations thrown in here. So in true Gemini season style, it, it feels a little chaotic. It doesn't feel very cut and dry. It feels like a cut and paste collage. Like a lot of things are sort of coming together within a few days here. Um, so it's, it's a lot to tease apart, but I think we're, we're about to yeah. do that. <laughs> I, I like that coming together and teasing apart. I think what comes together will be very difficult to interpret, right? Um, you know, generally speaking, the the Dragon's Head North Node doesn't clarify matters, right? It actually, both the nodes tend to complicate and tangle uh, things. And Mercury coming back to station very close, like three degree conjunction, with the North Node in a sign, you know, Taurus is not an awesome place for Mercury. It doesn't make it easier uh, to see exactly what's what. And, you know, and Mercury is on, uh, is pretty tightly on the fixed star Caput Algol, um, you know, and as far as <laughs> keeping a cool head and, you know, thinking about things clearly, you know, Algol symbols literally a decapitated head. Um, and there's the losing one's head. Um, and so, yeah, what, what comes together will, I think, take a while to tease apart. I, I do worry that there'll be just some like, no, I don't even worry. I just expect that there'll be like, there'll be like some horrific things that come to light. It'll be like, yeah, and there's a mass grave here. Or this, you know, there's just like, there'll be some unpleasant facts about what's already happened in addition, um, sort of to the side of these ongoing issues. Yeah, and... That symbolism of Medusa is so compelling at this stage in history, I feel. Just with Medusa, if we break down the myth of Medusa, she was a beautiful maiden who was essentially turned into a monster based on a trauma that she endured. Like, there was an, an infringement on her, on her autonomy, and she was demonized, and she was turn into this monster and so it it there is a story there of you know we could say patriarchal we could say yeah i mean that's definitely something that we could attribute there but i i think that symbolism of medusa is really poignant at this time when we're talking about the potential overturning of roe v wade and 
50% of this country losing potentially losing their choice to make medical decisions for themselves. So yeah, I think people are pretty upset right now. And we're starting off the month with Mars and Jupiter uh, in in Aries. So yeah, that is definitely part of the recipe. Yeah. Um, and one of the things also worth mentioning here that I feel like is often an overlooked side of Mercury-Saturn combinations is that Saturn um, Saturn usually rejects or says no to things, and that's part of its overarching sort of umbrella concept or archetype for Saturn. And when you put it together with Mercury, one of the things that sometimes happens is that, um, especially in like a natal chart, people can be highly critical or, or very good at seeing the faults of things very good at like seeing the problems with something or pointing out the problems, which can lead to a sort of hypercriticalness, um, which sometimes most people, if they meet somebody with heavy Mercury, Saturn, hard aspects, will experience it as that person being like overly critical of them externally. But sometimes it's also turned internally on the person themselves. Um, but that's one of the things that can lead to a sort of deadlocking or a slowing down or inability to act or speak or, or do things is the sort of critical um, nature of that combination being turned inwards and leading to a, a grinding halt of Mercury's otherwise like tendency to communicate and have movement and forward momentum and direction. And it'll be interesting to see around that time with Mercury stationing direct um, how the critical component of Saturn comes up, sometimes perhaps in uh, destructive ways, uh, but also sometimes potentially in constructive ways of, of what needs to be criticized or what needs to be like rejected or or something like that, like where sometimes seeing the faults in something is necessary and useful. Yeah, literally Saturn saying like, hold on, just let's just sit and be quiet and think about this for a little longer. Right. Yeah. Before Which we would before solve we move about on. half the world's problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that does. I love that connection back to the election, um, Chris, that you brought up and how we saw a very similar energy and how there could potentially be a freeze, like there could be a stalling and, hey, let's let's rethink this a little bit before we move forward. So hopefully, hopefully my fingers are crossed uh, that we might see some sort of delay um, in that overturning. But yeah, I also just think that between these two parties, Mercury and Saturn, that Saturn's definitely the stronger one. Saturn here has domicile, triplicity, rulership, and it's in its own terms. And poor little Mercury doesn't really have a lot going on. It's Mercury's in Saturn's Deccan. Oh, that too. Yes. Yeah. That too. Um, so, yeah, I think we see with the strong Saturn too a big impetus for control. And certainly since Saturn has been in Aquarius, we've had to follow more rules, right? Like we've had to do this whole social distancing thing and everything else that went with that. And this just seems like another incarnation of it. Like this, if this ruling does happen, it's the first time that a Supreme Court overturns precedent to limit um, rights versus create more of them. So... Mm. Yeah, right, and right, because it's overturning a mandatory legality. 
Mm-hmm. And they've done that in the past, but it creates more freedoms usually. This would be the first time that it does the Saturnian thing of really constricting and limiting people's choices. Sure. So, so on the one hand, we have that energy at the very beginning of the month, which is very prominent for at least the first week of the month or so, I would say. Yeah, it really drags. Yeah, there's like this slowness and this like heaviness and um, yeah, things feeling like like ponderous. But weirdly, um, we have a very contrasting energy taking place over in the sign of Aries, where we have Mars and Saturn meeting up in Mars's sign. Um, and both of those planets tend to be much more fiery planets about rapid growth and expansion. And so it's like in this other area or this other sector of the sky and this other sector of some people's charts, there's something else that's pushing to grow very rapidly and without as much forethought um, and sort of like driving things forward at an exponential rate, which is kind of an interesting contrasting energy that um, is happening. It sort of comes to a head at the Mars-Jupiter conjunction that happens a little bit before that, which is around the very, very end of May, um, right around that new moon, actually at eight degrees of Gemini on the 29th. 29th, 30th, but it's still very much there and they're very much present for the entirety of this month as Mars is continuing to move through its home sign of Aries. Yeah. Well, and so what's really interesting is that by the time Mercury picks up some steam um, and gets out of Taurus, that's that that's going to be the new influence on Mercury. Mercury goes from being at the end of Taurus in a Saturn rule decan squared by Saturn, right? Just like excruciating delays and slowness and you know, what's the information? What's you know, what's it gonna be? And then as soon as Mercury hits Gemini, I think it's on the 13th, not only do we have Mercury in its own sign and in a very fast, speedy, you know, sign itself, uh, Gemini, but also like immediately coming into aspect with Jupiter in Aries, like getting that, um, you know, whatever that, that jet fuel, um, from Jupiter in Aries. And then, you know, we'll be on its way to then sextile Mars in Aries, right? So we're, we're going from Mercury is going from being in that Saturn, Uranus, Rahu, um, fixed sign sort of thing of uh, the fixed crisis, if you will, um, to this like very hot and fast and bold or configuration of this very hot, fast and bold um, side of things in areas. And that's the second half of the month, basically. It's like it's making up for lost time once Mercury gets back into Aries. It's got to like go back over stuff and return back to and retrace the steps where it had previously gone retrograde. And it finishes that up by the middle of June. But then yeah, it's just making up for lost time, and it's really cruising and moving through. Um, that's funny you mentioned Taurus and everything, because it's not just the square with Saturn, but also just the fact that Taurus itself is a slow sign. And when I did the Taurus episode this month with Mo and Pow of the Fixed Astrology podcast, one of the keywords that came up was, uh, don't rush me, as like a signification or a keyword for Taurus, which is a very good I thought Taurus keyword, and that's some of what Mercury is going to be experiencing up until it hits that point where it gets back into its home sign of Gemini, and then it starts um, rushing and moving around very rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just one more thing about that 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 Mercury in the last decade of Taurus, which is literally almost the entire first half of the month. 
Um, so, of course, I know you've been getting more into tarot, right? So that's associated with the seven of discs or coins. And in the, the Rider Waite Smith, that's literally a guy watching plants grow and looking extremely bored and frustrated. I think there'll, there'll be some of leaning, leaning on your, your hoe, your garden implement, and just seeing like, okay, is this going to grow? Are the plants going to die? Are they going to grow? Got to just wait. <laughs> What's going to happen here with these plants? Yeah. Here, I'm pulling that one up. There it is. He's just... Um, yeah, just... He, it's like he's been gardening. He's kind of exhausted looking at what he's done or what he's created at that point. But there's also a sense of um, he doesn't look super happy. Yeah. Well, and one of the common interpretations of that is that there's nothing more that can be done. You just have to wait for the result. Mm, okay. And that's what, that's the third decan of Taurus. Nice. That feels right. really timely. Yeah. That does feel appropriate. Just watching um, the grass grow. Yeah. All right. So um, going back to the beginning of the month again and just talking about some of our early stuff so at the very end of may um one of the shifts that happens that's still coming up for us in the future as of now when we're recording this is we do have a shift of venus moving into her home sign of taurus by the 28th of may um, and that's one of the dominant things that's happening for the entirety of or most of June, actually, all the way until the 22nd when Venus moves into Gemini. But that might be something that we might want to touch on and focus on a little bit here, because that's one of the main energies of the month in the first couple of weeks, uh, having Venus in her home sign. So it's like Mars is in his home sign in Aries, Venus is in Taurus, and then at a certain point we get Mercury in its home sign of Gemini. Yeah. Well, Venus in Taurus just wants to be comfortable. Uh, it's a little harder these days with Uranus in Taurus and now with the eclipses there. But the aim is to try to be as comfortable and do practice the pause and find the simple pleasures in the moment. And I think that that's actually a really great way to stay grounded in in the times that we're in is to just drop into the the senses and enjoy being human. You know, there's there's a crazy world out there, but we can we can enjoy this ice cream cone, or we can enjoy just being together and that sort of thing. Yeah, to contrast that with the um, the waiting in the seven of coins, right? Um, Venus and Taurus is much better at having free time, right? Um, you know, it's like, well, just sit back, recline, <laughs> ice cream, right? It is dairy, it's Taurus, right? Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and so when I was looking at that, um, you know, part of my, my last year research on this year, it's like, Oh, can I, can I do, can I get a Venus in a Taurus talisman this year? And I was like, no, too much interference. Right. Um, but you know, uh, on a like experiential level, um, you know, the, maybe the first third of Venus's time in Taurus is not so bad, but um, not so interfered with. But as Venus goes later into Taurus, then we start having, oh, conjunction with relaxing Uranus. No, right? Sorry, uh, there's no ice cream. 
the uh, the ice cream boat from uh, from the nation we import that from uh, got blown up and is at the bottom of the ocean. There's not going to be ice cream for two months, right? You know, the Uranus disruptiveness and then, you know, um, head of the dragon energy is not necessarily relaxing. And then square to Saturn is not relaxing. So really like first third half, third, first third of Venus and Taurus, like kind of more classically Venus and Taurus, but then the rest of the, um, rest of the time spent there is, um, uh, rather fucked with. Yeah. It's basically the first week of the month. We get some nice Venus and Taurus, Taurus energy and, and maybe some of that relaxation or even like cleaning up a little bit after the eclipses, post eclipses, post Mercury retrograde in Taurus, um, and having Venus as a counterbalancing influence, which is bringing a little bit of peace and comfort to that sector of not just the zodiac, but that sector of our chart, our birth charts, and our lives where things were getting so churned up recently. Um, but now that we're starting to get some space from the eclipses and things like that, maybe there'll at least be that initial um, wave of sort of peace and relaxation as Venus moves into that sign in the first week before it starts just hitting Uranus and getting the disruption or the unsettledness of that. And then finally, the the sort of coldness from Saturn towards the end of that transit. 100%. And I'm remembering now um, in our discussion with Steph last month, we were talking about this in terms of at least attempting to stabilize what's going on in Taurus, right? And so if we think about that, it's like, oh, maybe that looks like stock market and, you know, various prices stabilizing, right? Which is different from a recovery, um, but it's like the uncertainty goes away for a little bit where it's like, okay, well, this is where, you know, we can, people feeling, you know, en masse um, be like, okay, I think this is what it's worth. It's not going to jump up. It's not going to fall back down like some, you know, a little, a, a small wave of stabilization, even if the result you know, relative to other times is not like a stability with a big S, mm -hmm. but like, you know, bringing some stabilizing while yeah. on a very bumpy road. Well, and that makes sense also because by the end of May, you know, we get our first lunation in a few weeks that's not an eclipse when we get that new moon in Gemini on the 30th, and then we get the full moon in Sagittarius on the 14th of June. So we're finally like moving out of eclipse season and um, we're getting some some little beginnings and little endings uh, with those two lunations, but just back to normal in some sense. Where not every new beginning or not every ending has to be like a major, either catastrophic or like life changing moment. But instead, we start moving into something that's a little bit more um, stable to some extent. Yeah, and that's um, let me just say that's that's one of the big problems. Um, with eclipses and the nodes is even when it's a good thing, it's often destabilizing. Like eclipses love to ruin whatever normal is. Um, and even if it's for the better, there's that like wrenching quality, which requires some adaptation and can be shocking or disorienting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love that we're sort of like in an eclipse hangover at the beginning of the month. Everything's sort of on pause with two stationary planets and Venus is in Taurus and she's not bothered by anyone yet. So it's the time to sleep in and spoil yourself a little bit because while Venus does like simple pleasures in Taurus, she also likes to be spoiled and likes the luxurious things in life too. All right, so my my I, this is good. This is helping me with my plans. Um, so 
I've got a lot to do at Norwalk and it's going to be huge and this and that. And I was thinking to myself, I was saying to Kate, uh, maybe last night I was like, maybe, maybe I'll just like take a secret vacation in my office and try to not do anything for like a week after Norwalk. I was like, maybe I'll just get drunk and play video games and eat like shit. So I've been, I've been obnoxiously clean and healthy for months now. So I'm like, maybe I can just like, you know, lay on that like Venus, the the grand couch of Venus and Taurus, right? The the <laughs> the couch of luxurious indulgence. Mm-hmm. I like that. That can be our that'll be our title for the first week of the month, the first week of June, the couch of lux- luxurious indulgence. <laughs> well, and you know, if, if we want to do tarot, look up the Empress card. You'll you'll see the 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 inspiration for the couch of luxury. Okay. Um, all right, so why don't we start moving into, I think, the second week of the month and moving into well, second and third week, really, because it's not until the third full week that we get our first lunation, our first official lunation of this month. Um, so let me move the chart forward and let me know if there's anything I'm missing before we get there. But it really looks like it's once we get to that full moon in Sagittarius, and right around the same time, Mercury departing and moving into Gemini. So Mercury's in Gemini by the 13th, and then, yeah, by the 13th and 14th, we get the first lunation of the month, which is a full moon at, it looks like, 23 degrees of Sagittarius. Uh, yeah, and square, it's worth noting that this full moon occurs right after a lot of those mid-month shifts we were talking about. So Mercury's just moved in to Gemini, right? Like ended all the like Taurus, Saturn, agonizing slowness and like just starting, right, to go fast and to uh, aspect, you know, uh, fast, enthusiastic Jupiter and Aries. And Venus has been um, forcibly removed from the couch of infinite decadence and is now, um, you know, is, is now uh, in contact with Uranus and Rahu. And, you know, it's much, it's a, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just one thing I wanted to add about that, like while we're in rest mode and, and stuffing our face with fettuccine, whatever it might be, um, on the indulgent couch, um, we're also maybe having some pretty big realizations, I think, with those stationing of Mercury and Saturn. Like a lot of times those planets will bring a development of ideas or I think Saturn very often clarity. So maybe practicing that pause is going to be helpful for us in our individual process. Yeah, I really like that. Um, And one thing I would add to that is, you know, the stations are not only slowness, which is a point of motionlessness outside, but often it's when we pause that we really figure out what direction we're going to head next. Um, And, you know, it's two planets reversing direction. Right. And I was just, you know, with with Saturn going retrograde, it's like, okay, that means that's as far into Aquarius um, as Saturn's going to get for a long, you know, for um, pretty much the rest of the year. Right. So it's like now let's like head instead of doing more Saturn and Saturning more things, we're going to go back to looking at. You know, the rules we made for ourselves previously, the rules that we, um, you know, exist within the confines of that we adapted to this way. And like, maybe that's changing, you know, but like that, like pausing 
you know, motionlessness on the couch of decadence <laughs> um, to like appreciate the shift in direction of two planets simultaneously, which are configured to each other. Right? Because if you just like keep with the momentum, you'll end up going according to two planets in literally the wrong direction. Right. Cause they're both saying, no, 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 do a, do a U-turn. Yeah. Um, and that's also going to be, that's the furthest, as you said, that Saturn's gotten in Aquarius. Um, but that's going to also, that station of Saturn is going to be a pretty important intensification for anybody where that transit is important or what, if they have anything very late in the fixed signs. And I think people should really pay attention to what house that's falling in. Um, because if if there were some things that were like building up in terms of that Saturn transit, but they hadn't fully gelled yet, even if there was a very close aspect, once Saturn stations, usually that really brings um, some of those Saturn things really manifest at that time and, and it get brought to the forefront in a person's life. Yeah. And sometimes it's like stuff that you know, like over the last month or two, stuff that you know that you kind of need to get done and it wasn't you know, an emergency, but it's like, you know, once you pause for a second um, and have a moon pie, uh, you realize that you're like, oh, I do need to deal with, you know, the roof, which is leaking and we got to get somebody in here to do that. Or, um, you know, oh, I do, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, whatever like structural or slow thing, oh, I do have to take care of that. Because there, there's uh, sorry, just one thing. There's something. There's definitely something about the last month where Mercury was retrograde and we had eclipses, where it's a little like it's a little confusing and there's a little like oh I need like getting caught up in what needs to be done today and tomorrow and sometimes like projects that need to get done that month get neglected or forgotten about when there's that sort of fog of war, but as things like slow down and you know we're we're coming back to like normal. Um, you know, lunations, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, and you still have to pay taxes, even though May was crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so back to the lunation, the full moon itself in the sign of Sagittarius, it's very closely square to Neptune. So there is this like a illusory quality or there's some quality of events that are happening around this time, even though the moon is at its fullest and at its brightest and is shining light on Sagittarius and on a certain sector of everyone's birth chart at this time, um, because of that close square with Neptune, there's something about the events that are taking place at this time that actually aren't very clear or where people may not have um, a very good picture of exactly what's transpiring or may have, in some instances, even a false or illusory picture of um, the sort of realization that comes about around the time of the full moon. Yeah, and yeah. I would add to that, they're very similarly, can, the sun and moon are both similarly configured to Saturn. Uh, Neptune and Saturn don't aspect each other, but they're both at 25 and so of their respective signs. And so both the sun and moon, you know, they both of them square Neptune and then Saturn trines the sun while the moon sextiles the sun. And so, you know, sometimes when you have a heavily Neptuned thing, it's okay to be tuned out, right? But there's, um, with Saturn, there is a demand for reality and like a harmonious configuration with the facts, right? Um, pleasant or unpleasant. And so there's a, like the, you know, Neptune and Saturn really, 
by way of contrast, kind of uh, make each other's qualities stand out. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, that could be really good. I mean, that could actually help ground and offset what otherwise would be a very prominent and very illusory Neptune um, configuration to the lunation by bringing in some grounding and some Saturn and so maybe people won't, you know, completely be lost in the clouds when it comes to this lunation, but we'll have both of those tendencies there uh, to some extent. And, and it, you know, the other configuration that's happening is it's very closely after the Venus Uranus conjunction in Taurus, so that's tied in with this story at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am happy to see that Saturn there for sure. Uh, with that, I mean, a full moon in Sagittarius square Neptune. It seems like. Things could sort of spiral. People could like get, you know, Neptune deals with hype and sometimes we don't have the full story. And it's a very Sagittarian thing, actually, to create basically a movement out of a one-liner idea. And so with Neptune, it's like things can sort of spiral. And yeah, I think people can just sort of get up in arms or carried away a little bit with that configuration. So that trine with Saturn is really helpful and helps sort of ground and um, help people find their feet a little bit. But what's so interesting about this full moon is number one, it's our first lunation ruled by Jupiter and Aries. And number two, it's our first lunation in Sagittarius since 2019 that isn't an eclipse. Yes, finally. So that should offer some much-needed perspective to the Sagittarius sector of our chart, which has sort of been going through a lot uh, as far as lunations go in the last couple years. Yeah, all of the mutable rising sign people, but especially the Sag and Gemini people, breathe a sigh of relief of just like going back to having lunations that are not major life-changing events at this point in their life. Yeah, and I, I would add that, um, so Sag, when it's uh, healthy, right, planets in Sag um, are very good at figuring out what, what a meaningful direction to go is, right? Like there's some, you know, the, the centaur archer symbol, like literally the feeder for travel for going in a direction faster than any of the other zodiac signs and the bow and arrow is to move the arrow extremely fast right there's like directed motion is very much part of the sagittarius uh image um and you know that being purposeful right with the jupiter rulership um and so you know a healthy you know healthy planets in sag are you know they're on a quest Right. It might seem silly to someone else, but like that, that I'm that quest energy is extremely motivating and on an internal level, like unifying, right? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing this. It's important. It's meaningful. I don't have internal contradictions about which way I'm going, right? I'm not a human or a horse. I'm a, I'm a horse, you know, I'm a centaur. God damn it. I'm both at once, um, which allows you to move as one. Um, and so, you know, with the, the light being interfered with in every lunation for a while in Sagittarius, you know, great point, by the way, I just, I didn't even think of that. Like that's a, it's like a restoration of that. Like um, as, as Sagittarius moon, Friedrich Nietzsche wrote uh, formula for my happiness, a yes, a no, a straight line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think too, 
bringing in like the seeker energy and the inspiration energy, I think with that score to Neptune, that could be for people who are on a spiritual path of some kind, that could be really activating for that as well. Um, but yeah, I think that it sort of depends what's on your mind around that full moon, because I think that it just can balloon whatever it is, like whether it's feeling confident, because again, this is our first lunation with Jupiter and Aries. And I think that that's a really beautiful energy on a personal level for helping us to take that courageous risk or helping us to do something really brave in our lives. And so I think it can be empowering and it can be like that inspiration that we need maybe to do the thing. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of go energy, like go and keep going energy. Mm -hmm. Like you got this. Well, and there's something also just like exciting about the Venus-Uranus conjunction that's taking place within the same span of a few days in that second week of June. Um, you know, this is the point where Venus kind of gets up off of her couch and like, you know, goes out and starts having some pretty exciting interactions again at this time. And it's interesting that that coincides with the full moon lunation this month. Um, so Venus is kind of getting like dragged out of the house by her friends and there's some sort of um, seeking or encounter of something that's unique and exciting and out of the ordinary um, and yet pleasurable in some way with Venus passing over Uranus at this time around the time of the lunation is going to run into some problems later on once it hits the square with Saturn and there's some like consequences or drawbacks um, to something that was happening earlier in the month. But nonetheless, there's still this kind of exciting period around the time of the lunation that looks very optimistic, even if it's not fully grounded in reality due to the square with Neptune. I'm not as optimistic about Uranus, about Venus with Uranus and all that. Um, I'm not, not, a, not like, a fun aspect for you. Well, no, I just um, when I when I see people that have you know uh, have Venus Uranus transits, it's really a coin flip as to whether it's like. Sometimes it'll be the fun thing that you didn't even know you were going to do, but just as often it's like the, you were going to do a fun thing and every, and then it flips and is awful or, you know, like it's Uranus interfering um, with the pleasure, fun, social accord you thought you were going to have. I, I just, I, I wouldn't bet on it either way. Um, actually, I would, with the, with the other stuff around, I would, I would, I, I will be more careful about my Venusian endeavors around that time. I just, you know, you can't trust Uranus. Yeah. And the, a full moon ruled by Jupiter, square Neptune, it feels like a lot of debauchery. So yeah, that Venus uh, conjunct Uranus definitely is one to be mindful of for sure. Yeah. I just, I've seen sometimes the positive side of the Venus Uranus stuff can be an exciting new relationship or some finding something that enlivens you in a way that you hadn't experienced before, hadn't experienced in a while. And there's something about that transit that can sometimes in its positive manifestation shake things up for the better. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I didn't mean to say that that can't happen. It's just for me, it seems like such a roll of D20 and see you know what you get. Because um, I see that and the opposite of that from the same Venus-Uranus configurations. For sure. I think it's like Venus-Uranus wants to have an, a wild adventure with that. Um, right. Wants to, wants to climb a bridge and drink a 40, you know, like an abandoned bridge. and. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
wants yeah, to yeah. have some kind of wild adventure. Yeah. Or what was that? Cliche? Wasn't there like a cliche? I think it was sometimes the Venus Uranus aspects, that cliche in like late 2000s, um, like romantic movie movies of like the boring guy that meets the like manic pixie dream girl, like energy type scenario. But it was like that movie was done so many times. It was kind of became a cliche at a certain point. Yeah. It's like, you just want to break the routine and mix up what feels, because again, it's in Taurus. So what feels really stable and really routine, just sort of wanting to get a reprieve from it. And sometimes that can bring new life back into the relationship dynamic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so we have that and then, but there's like another side to that energy because it hits just a few days later, like the following week, I believe when Venus does not too long afterwards, um, you know, get to 25 degrees of Taurus where it squares Saturn. And that is much more of a cold, distant, sort of backing off type energy of, of Venus sometimes, or Saturn saying no to something and v Venus either being um, something relational in terms of relationships that's coming so close after that conjunction with Uranus or saying no to something else or maybe having to like, you know, go on um, a diet from like the things that it was experiencing in the sensual realm earlier in the month where Austin, you were talking about the ice cream boat or, or what have you. Yeah. The ice cream boat sunk, Chris. The ice cream's not coming. It was torpedoed. Okay. This is when Venus puts away the video games and gets back to work. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to do that earlier than this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, on a live level, one thing I noticed with just the condition of Venus is like, just baseline, like how pleasurable things are. Um, and often when Venus is, you know, square Saturn or just, you know, in a really rough temporary condition, um, I'll find myself just like, man, I hate this, whatever it is. I'll just, you know, like you'll just get a like, eh, this sucks. Eh, this isn't making me happy. Like, I don't like work. I don't like, I don't like play, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like afflicted Venus can just be like an ambient bad mood where nothing satisfies. I also think that Venus Saturn aspects are really, they can be really constructive in relationships. I think that uh, they're often like a moment of checking in and saying like, hey, let's level on this and let's get on the same page on this or let's work toward this. So I think that they can ultimately be constructive, but they can also highlight things that are that are problematic. And yeah, I mean, Saturn is... They're both in their domicile, which makes it an interesting aspect, but Saturn is a little stronger. So Saturn's like, Venus, I know we want to be comfortable and but there's we have to we have to take care of this very crucial thing in order to have that. So Yeah. So maybe sometimes like the setting of appropriate boundaries or the renegotiation of boundaries as a as a Venus Saturn theme. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just like with ongoing relationships. Um um, an, a renegotiation of the structure, right? Mm -hmm. Structure of expectations and mutual obligations and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Since we're a little bit more than uh, halfway through the episode, I needed to take a break to mention our sponsor uh, this month, which is the ephemeris.co um, astrology birth chart pendant, where on this website you can actually go and get um, enter in your birth data and then select what zodiac and what house system you want. And you can actually get a copy of your birth chart um, printed up in this beautiful metal necklace. 
um, that you can wear and take to parties or astrology conferences or what have you, um, just in case you want to show off your birth chart, in case you are not a Scorpio rising and you want to show everybody your birth chart and just like be able to share and, and point out your birth chart placements right there on a necklace. So um, the necklaces are gender neutral. Um, they also, you can enter your birth data and customize it with different options, and they're always integrating new things like zodiacs or house systems, which is great in terms of picking your preferred one. All of the pieces are unique and handmade in the United States, um, and they have sold over 17,000 orders, so it's actually becoming more and more popular. So you can find out more information about this, and you can actually get a 10% discount if you use the promo code all one word astrology podcast on their website ephemeris.co. Um, so it's a pretty cool little thing, and I've got one made out of my birth chart, and I'm pretty happy with it. You can also get an inscription on the back. Is if that you yours, want to write, Chris? Yeah. This do, you, is, do you look at that for self affirmation in the morning? It's for myself that inscription. There it says I love you to the moon and back because I'm just I'm trying to lean into my seventh house Leo placements, uh, which for me is all about self love. What, your yeah. first house moon? I thought yeah, so. Yeah. I yeah. thought I heard no, you actually, whispering that to yourself when we were warming up for the show. No, I mean, <laughs> what's funny is I mine, the one that I got, I've got one right here that I got made with my birth chart, and it says um, Amor Fati on the back, so love your fate, actually, is, mm. is what mine says. Awesome. Very yeah, cool. Actually, not that far is actually very similar and kind of maybe an indirect say of, a way of saying love yourself, love your birth chart, love what what you've been given, and come to some acceptance of it. So... Yeah. Maybe you're right, Austin. You're making me reflect on that. I'm actually just talking about This reminds about me of one of my very favorite stories about you that I'm not going to tell on air. Okay. <laughs> Is it, it? It's, it's not too scandalous, but um, I'm going to pass. But it was All a right. conversation you had with someone many years ago, and uh, an article was written about it, and your final words were amor, amor fati. Mm. Okay, that was like an interview or something like that. I mean, I do like you always tell the story about like my Aquarius moon when I took a friend of ours who got sick at like an astrology conference to the like doctor because she had like a cold or something like that. And I, they were, you know, just in bad shape and I handed them like Valens or something like that. And I said, here, you should read this. I think this would really help you with your condition, like philosophically or something like that. And you just, you always laughed at that of that. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. That is. You Aww. know what's good? We, well, you those need are a little, really cute. Uh, Little little dimetap and a little stoicism. We'll, a little, we'll, little stoicism, uh, we'll a little stoic philosophy. That'll totally help you feel better. Uh, yeah, moon and Aquarius. No, but you you have your 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 moon in the first in Aquarius is very uh, isn't just um, hilariously stoic. You know, you're a great listener. Like literally, half of your job is being a great listener. You are. Yeah. Yeah, that moon in the first house, I'm actually much more caring and engaged, especially one-on-one -on -one, than one would think um, due to the Aquariusness and otherwise Saturn prominence in my chart. Um, but anyways, that's a, turning into a long, weird digression for our yeah, sponsor for this month. <laughs> that's totally um, my fault. But have you guys uh, gotten, uh, I mean, copies of your birth chart or would you wear a copy of your birth chart maybe to a conference or something like that? It's a little bit more than, you know, you go to a conference usually and sometimes at Norwalk they'll have like your sun, moon and rising. I think this is like the next level up from that. Yeah, you can, you can, um, you know, if you have one too many, you can just be like, look. Um, yeah, no, those are super cute. They look really quality and handcrafted. And I like the chain. I like even the the round chain on them. And 
Yeah, that sounds like a, a really cool and really thoughtful gift to give to someone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I need to be reminded of my birth chart any more than I am. So I definitely won't get one. But I would like everyone I talk to at Norwalk to have one. It'll just, it'll help the conversation flow. I won't have to ask to see anybody's chart. I can just literally stare awkwardly um, at their collarbones. <laughs> just glance at it. Um, always quick glance. Yeah, that's actually one thing I do not envy you going to Norwalk next week is I'm terrible with names, but I do remember birth charts and birth placements. Yeah, so sometimes that's, that's like, that's the astrologer thing. You're like, um, uh, what's, what's your name? Um, you know, the sentence at like 24 Sag and it's, uh, it's configured to like, there's a, there's a Saturn Neptune and you know, like you'll, you'll yeah. start pulling together an entire detailed portrait, but you can't remember like, you know, Susie or, you know, or whatever the name is. Yeah, I'll usually be like, hey, Sun and Aries and Mercury and Scorpio, nice to meet you again. And they'll be like, my name is actually Bob. Yeah. You don't remember? <laughs> yeah. Chartographic right. memory. It, and it's ironic because you'll start like, because you're thinking of the chart and you're like, oh, yeah. And then you you had this kind of upbringing and there's this and that, like all this, like, you know, information, but you can't remember, like, right. oh, it's Jim. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Jim. I remember what happened to you at age of 16 right. and what time lords you were having at that exact moment. Right. Um, yeah, you have a you have a Venus retrograde and that was the second time you had a Venus return that was also a Venus retrograde and that was a really crazy first love story. I remember, yeah. It's yeah, it's like the inverted memory where you can't remember the simple thing but you've got like 30,000 words of intel that comes up. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks to our sponsor, ephemeris.co. And once again, the promo code is Astrology Podcast. All right, so let's get into the second half of the month and um, start talking about uh, what we get into once we get a little bit further into June when we get that um, ingress of the sun eventually into Cancer. Venus departs from Taurus and moves into Gemini, both of those around the 21st and 22nd of the month. Well, and that's, you know, uh, although the sun, you know, the sun's movement into cancer is definitely like, as we say, it's like cooling off from the like fast overheat of Gemini, right? At the same time, we have Venus moving into Gemini and also getting configured to Jupiter, you know, basically getting going into sextile with the Aries stuff and sharing the sign with super fast Mercury and Gemini. Um, so it's really it's it's a lot of movement. It, it's not going to feel like the nor it's not like the the sun's movement into uh, a nurturing water sign. I think is going to get very overshadowed by how active the planets are. Right? If we look at just elemental. Um, placements of the seven visible planets, right? Like we've got Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Mercury, Venus in active fire and air signs. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so we really move away from the fixed signs, the slowness of Taurus, the slowness of really all of the fixed signs at this point. And instead we get this concentration on Gemini, which is already a quick sign, on the two cardinal signs of Aries and Cancer. So we get we start getting a lot of movement basically by this later portion of the month. Yeah, it, it's um, you know um, I, it it seems like a continuation of that energy that we were talking about with the the Sagittarius full moon, right? To go back to the Archer analogy, like launching the arrow, but it's like traveling 
Um, and it's, you know, if anything, you know, uh, at, at full speed, you know, this, what, a, a week later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense also because we're all, we're finally out of the Mercury retrograde shadow because Mercury finally leaves, what, four or five degrees of Gemini where it event, it originally went retrograde. It gets back to that point by June 18th. So everything after that point is Mercury treading new ground and moving sort of at full speed or moving at fast speed at this point forward um, into uncharted territory as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and before we get there, too, one last thought about Venus before she leaves Taurus is that, you know, when looking at the axis of Taurus and Scorpio being especially pronounced right now with eclipses, we're seeing like a major emphasis on resources. And so I think Venus aligning with that North Node and Uranus, it's going to do some it's going to do some interesting things to the markets, I think. Um, and how I, I think that there's just like a lot of change right now where people are sourcing their materials and things like that, especially in Europe. Um, and I know that crypto is going kind of crazy already. So it'll be interesting to see what happens around there. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like we were saying, or I was saying earlier about the first part of Venus and Taurus being kind of stabilizing, but like that doesn't last long. And it's, you know, um, it's like, oh, the ice cream ship is sunk or no. Well, the ice cream's here, but we don't, um, you know, uh, we don't have containers for the ice cream, so we can't sell it. You know, it's the, the same kind of stuff that's been happening with whenever the, the Uranus, whenever the fixed sign stuff gets activated this year. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, so... Venus moving through Gemini and a quickening of the pace of things. Um, Venus and Gemini with Mercury and Gemini, that's a lot more social, a lot more chatty, a lot more quick interactions between people and in terms of communication and writing and things like that. Yeah, and there's something, um, I should say, that... Um, is it, it can the Venus and Gemini, especially with Mercury there and with the configurations, um, can be refreshingly superficial. And what I mean, it's like, no, we don't need to talk about um, the depths of, you know, how we feel about the world and, you know, what, what moves us, um, you know, the, the most deeply. Sometimes it's nice to just, like, have some banter. Yeah. Uh, not every conversation needs to go to the greatest depths of one's like psyche and like your relationship with two people or something like that, um, which I don't understand personally as a Mercury and Scorpio, but I'll take your word for it that that's, that's the case. Well, let me know how you're feeling after the Venus square Saturn. And yeah. See if you're ready for maybe a little things to get a little lighter. A little lighter. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I think of Mercury and Venus and Gemini as making a lot of plans with people who you haven't seen in a while. Like you just feel inspired to text so-and-so and say, Hey, let's, let's make a plan. Let's make a date. I want to see you. And then like due to the flakiness too of Venus and Gemini, you end up canceling a lot of plans because now it's cancer season and you're like, Oh, I just kind of want to go back to my routine a little bit. But I think the desire of Venus and Gemini is wants to make she wants to make a lot of plans she wants to socialize she wants to be a little butterfly yeah yeah there's like that um motion right especially with mercury and gemini too 
right? Like, let's go over here. Let's see. Let's see what that's like. Let's play a game. Let's, you know, I haven't seen Bubble in a while. Just like, you know, bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah just, there's something re- refreshing about that. Totally. Just um, sort of riffing off a similar theme from Venus and Uranus. Just like craving something different in the in the routine. Mm, right. Right. So seeking um, variety uh, in Gemini. Mm-hmm. Yes, the seeking of variety and the enjoyment of having lots of things that don't go very deep, but that there's still an enjoyment and a fulfillment in spreading yourself a little bit more wide for a period of time rather than than deep. Yeah, and there's definitely a curiosity there too. So conversation flows easily when you know you have two very curious planets that want to ask a lot of questions and get caught up but yeah like you said not not go too deep keep keep it light and keep it playful and yeah the energy the energy is really just like whimsical and there's a lot of charm there and it's even a little flirtatious like just i mean where i live it's like that's the time when you go out and you start to see people you haven't seen in a long time so the energy is really fitting there that makes me think of I um, was watching like a comedy podcast recently where they were competing for like who is better at making small talk and just that thing that you sometimes have to do when you have a very brief like interaction with somebody and you want to have like the most pleasant but efficiently short interaction possible and yet still leave a relatively positive impression and like how do you do that rather than as you were saying Austin earlier like every short interaction you do not have to like plumb and go to the depths of each other's like soul if it's just going to be like a quick 30 minute conversation i love that with you and your mercury saturn a quick conversation is 30 minutes yeah i meant to say i actually meant to say 30 seconds but but you're right uh point still stands that even attempting to say that i can't imagine only making a 30 second conversation for so my brain just like defaults to 30 30 minutes yeah, the, the planets do incline they may not compel but they certainly incline so tiktok isn't your thing chris no, not yet. I mean, I well, I mean, maybe. Maybe I'll like set up a TikTok one of these days. I've been dragging my feet on it, and like maybe do some like catchy dances or something like that. Um, no, not my thing yet. But we'll see. We'll see what happens once Venus goes into Gemini. Yeah. Um, so that does remind me that this is a good time to mention because this is very close to our auspicious electional date for this month, which is the lucky date that Lisa Scheim and I picked out, and. Let me just pull up and animate the chart because I think it's on June 26th with Virgo rising. So with this, go ahead and cast a chart for June 26th and then adjust the time to about 10.55 in the morning, 10.55 a.m. or so. You'll end up with a chart that has um, Virgo rising which is ruled by Mercury and Mercury is located at 15 degrees of Gemini in the 10th whole sign house in its own domicile. So there you'll also find Venus is also already in the sign of Gemini, and we also find the moon in Gemini, where it's separating from a conjunction with Venus, a sextile with Jupiter and Aries, and it's applying to a conjunction with Mercury with reception in the 10th house. So this is a very um, 10th house focused chart, a very communication focused chart with Mercury there in Gemini. So it would be good for things having to do with career, reputation, communication, um, and other sort of 10th house activities with a Virgo 
and Mercury or Gemini type flair to them. Um, let's see, what else does this chart have? It has some very helpful sextiles from Jupiter and Aries over to the planets in Gemini, especially Venus, where uh, Venus is still applying to a sextile with Jupiter in the eighth house. Um, even though it does have Jupiter in the eighth, it's not super great for eighth house things having to do with uh, borrowing money or debt or taxes or other things like that because it has Mars in the eighth house in a day chart. Um, but it's otherwise one of the best, I think, Mercury elections for the year um, that I can remember finding just because it has Mercury in such a good placement in Gemini, Mercury ruling the ascendant, and Mercury is largely unafflicted in this chart but is in, instead in pretty good shape. So yeah, what kind of things would you guys use a Mercury election for like this or just in general abstractly? Um, probably writing things, maybe talking about things, <laughs> which, you know, it's a joke, but like, I mean, my career is writing and talking about things. So like finding good moments to write and talk about things, if that's your job or if those are the activities, um, you know, through which you do your job are, it's actually really important. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful election and anything to do with sharing media or sharing an article you published or announcing maybe a class or, um, yeah, or anything, yeah, anything just media or content related, I think would be really great for that. Cause I mean, that's something a lot of people, um, can relate to these days. Yeah. Maybe that's when I will start that, that TikTok account. There you uh, we'll go. See, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, um, and also sometimes there are important communications, right? Like, a, you're like, oh, I'm going to write blah, blah, blah about blank, but I'm not sure what the right time is, right? Um, good, good Mercury with benefics is the time to do that. Like asking a favor or proposing something that the other person could reject. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you work in entertainment and it's like, oh, like, when am I going to pitch this project that I've been working on, right? You want, like, communicate, good communication with benefics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So this is one of, uh, I think, four or five electional charts that we found this month. And the rest of those electional charts that we found are reserved for the Auspicious Elections podcast, which I put out each month with Lisa Scheim as one of the bonuses um, through the $20 tier on our page on patreon.com. So uh, you can sign up for that through our page on Patreon at patreon.com slash astrology podcast um, in order to get access to that. It was just published, I think, a day or two ago. And then we also recently discounted our 2022 electional astrology report where we went through and picked electional charts and gave the single best election we could find for each of the next 12 months. Since we're halfway through the year at this point, we've discounted it half off for that electional report, which you can find at courses.theastrologyschool.com. Very nice. Oh, I, I made in my notes um, an anti-election. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, on the 18th, we have Venus conjunct Algol and the North Node perfectly square Saturn while the Moon is conjunct Saturn. I was like, I think that's the anti-election for the month. Oh, not man, a day that. to get not a day to get married. <laughs> or, this one yeah, right here. you know, maybe uh, maybe that's not the time to do the important things. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just you know, that's like some of those elections in the Picatrix where it's like if you want to destroy a city, pick an electional chart like this and then create something and bury it under the sand or something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the um, um, in the old uh, 
Ouroboros uh, Press translation, which was from, um, which is uneven, uh, but from the Arabic. So it had from the medieval Arabic. So it's a different flavor than from the Latin. Um, the way that like bring malefics to the ascendant is translated is bring evil to the ascendant. And I was like, I know what that means. Yeah, it's a funny part of electional astrology that we don't often think of, which is because most time, 99% of the time, you know, astrologers are picking good charts to do good things, but then theoretically you could also pick the worst time. And and that's also that's kind of a good exercise if you're learning electional astrology, which is to see what happens when you pick just like the worst chart possible for something and just see how it goes. That can be like, you know, learning by fire or trial by fire in some sense. Sometimes you do this that is my design. in hindsight, like in 2020, right. you're like, why did that go so terribly? And then you look at the chart and you're like, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. My, my experience of electional astrology and people learning electional astrology is you will rebel enough. Uh, you don't have to plan it. You will rebel enough, be like, whatever, I'm just going to do it. It's, it's right. fine. Totally. Um, and then, you know, then you get the, the feedback. Yeah, my 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 famous sandwich electional story last month is now burned into my brain. Yes, I got yes, <laughs> I, I got poisoned, poisoned Moon Mars conjunction. Don't ever, yeah. Well, it's kind of like you know everyone I think has that experience at some point of like burning your hand on the stove or you know touching something that's really hot and then quickly pulling your hand back and then you kind of remember from that experience like it gets ingrained mm -hmm. in your psyche on some level not to do that again. And sometimes that's, I feel like, kind of how electional astrology can work. Yeah, don't don't go to the dentist on a Pluto station. I did that, mm. and I didn't have my ephemeris when I scheduled it. And I was like, oh, it's a Pluto station. Let's see what happens. This was years and years ago. And I ended up needing to get a root canal from it. Like, oh, the worst. I'll never forget that. The tooth underworld. Mm-mm. All right, so we're getting towards the later portion of the month where I think one of the next things we need to talk about is our second election, or sorry, our second lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of Cancer on the 28th that happens the same day that Neptune stations retrograde in Pisces. So let me show the chart for that. That is. Not it. There we go. All right. So this new moon is taking place at seven degrees of Pisces, or seven degrees of Cancer, right there on June twenty eighth. Um, later in the day, we still have Venus in Gemini at this time. Mercury in Gemini. Um, what else is going on? It looks like this lunation is very closely squaring Jupiter, which is at seven degrees of Aries at this time. Um, it's also the same day. It looks like Venus is exactly going exact sextiling Jupiter from seven degrees of Gemini to uh, seven degrees of Aries at this time, almost exactly to the to the minute at this point, which is pretty striking. Yeah, it's our second lunation that seems to directly involve Jupiter and Aries, which is kind of cool. Mm. And I know we were we were talking before we started recording about the eclipses and how the eclipse in the sign of Scorpio, the sign of the moon's fall, sort of brought on like a climax of um, of baby formula shortage. And so I'm looking right. at this. 
we didn't actually end up mentioning that. We should actually, you should mention that because that's well, actually we, we a really good point. Oh, did we talk yeah, about okay. it? Um, so yeah, but here with the, with the new moon in the sign of cancer, where the moon is in its domicile and it's square, um, a benefic Jupiter and Jupiter often has a lot to do with, um, babies and the, and the creation of them. Um, I am hopeful that by the end of June with this new moon is when we'll see those shelves restocked. I'm really hopeful for that. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a pretty like comforting, well-supplied moon. Yeah, there's an important uh, nurturing component uh, to the moon and to Cancer, and I think that goes all the way back. I think Valens mentions that already in the second century. This notion of like nurturing or nurturing of another being a core archetypal signification of the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a love one of those more lovely looking lunations. I think one of the. You know, we haven't seen too many of those lately. And yeah, this new moon in Cancer, it's it's unafflicted. And there is a station from Neptune that's happening on this day, too. So I, I'm really sort of tapping into the watery, sort of restful energy. I think one of the things the sign of Cancer really reminds us is that you can't draw from an empty well. And... I think Neptune, on Neptune stations, very often there's a call to retreat or seek magic or to just check out a little bit. And so I feel like, I guess this month is sort of bookended by that energy of just restfulness and taking care of yourself. And and in this case, watering yourself where you feel where, yeah, like I think cancer is really good at tuning into what it is that we need to feel safe and secure and that we're thriving. Yeah, I get a really I get a similar feeling. I was thinking of the configuration of that Jupiter in Aries. Um and you know it's it's a benefic, so it's useful, but it's a it's a square. And I was just thinking of you know the the contrast in level of activity between a you know a new moon in Cancer. Um, and Jupiter in Aries. And I wonder if that's going to be a little bit of a like, okay, so you ran around, you did a lot of things, like settle down for a second, like refuel, like get ready to accomplish more things by not trying to accomplish anything for a couple days. Um, you know, take in the ground you've covered, take in, you know, what you've done. Um, but, you know, so, sort of settle in with that, you know, refuel and, um, you know, take a day off. Yeah, I like that. So so thinking of what what is um, restful, what is replenishing and what is nurturing when it comes to yourself and and the need for that sometimes to to recharge and replenish. All right. That's good. Um, we do that is getting very late in the month at this point it looks like there is a mars pluto square that forms is forming by that point but it goes exact a couple of days later from 27 degrees of aries to 27 degrees of capricorn just before we end the month um so that's not a super easy aspect to end the month with what are what are some of your keywords for like mars pluto well i mean the classic one is like power struggle Mm-hmm. Right. Like Mars as the sort of visible power and Pluto as the the invisible um, sort of power. Um, and, you know, um, Mar- with Mars, Pluto, there's like um, 
feeling manipulated or silenced, um, uh, you know, like that, those kind of feelings, whatever, and just power dynamics in general um, tend to become, should I say, more emotionally obvious um, and less tolerable, right? Sometimes to an exaggerated degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes to like an explosive degree. Yeah, well, and I think that's especially true um, here in the Pluto and Capricorn years, where, you know, it's Pluto in a very Saturnian um, mode, right? Which is, can be, when you add Pluto and Saturn, it's, it can be a very suppressive feeling energy. And Mars and Aries, um, you know, w- would like to have as little of that as possible. Yeah, it definitely feels a little bit like an eruption. Um, it, it, you know, Mars Pluto for me, it always brings up the energy of vol- volatility. Um, but it's, it's a powerhouse energy, right? So, you know, a lot of times the way we see it play out in the world is a little different than how we're feeling it. Like on a personal level, I think it's definitely like a powerhouse energy where there's that compulsive layer of Pluto where you're like, I just have to do it. I just have to take the risk or I have to confront the issue or whatever it might be, or just face my fear or, uh, yeah. So I think it can move obstacles too. I think it can also just sort of blow things up and, and clear the path as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, Mars and Aries just wants to move forward sort of single-mindedly. Um, but it's, it's getting this weird sort of behind the scenes, sort of manipulative energy from that square with Pluto where Mars is moving forward, but there's something else sort of behind the scenes calling the shots a little bit. Um, so maybe paying attention to dynamics like that or, or dynamics or areas where you're trying to move forward, perhaps move forward quickly in some area, but may not understand um, ways in which those actions are being controlled or manipulated in some way by forces that are larger or sort of outside of your control. All right. Um, that kind of is bringing us to the end of the month here in terms of the forecast for June. Is there Are there any major configurations that we didn't talk about? I mean, we do have the Neptune station at 25 Pisces, so that's, what, about as late as Neptune has gotten at this point um, in its journey through Pisces. Uh, there is an intensification of some of that Neptune energy, but it's not super accentuated in terms of configurations with other planets quite yet at this point in late June, aside from just it inherently being an intensification through that station of Neptune at that degree. Um, So I'm not sure if there's any reason to dwell on that anymore or say anything more about that in terms of the Neptune and Pisces transit. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting that both lunations this month have strong configurations with Jupiter and Neptune. So yeah, there's lots of just mushrooming energy, I think, or expanding a sense of possibility or hopefulness or dreamscape of some kind. Um, But it's also interesting that there's just a lot happening around that 24, 25 right now. Um, So that's kind of nice, actually, that while Scorpio is dealing with the south node and the square from Saturn in the late degrees, that that trine from Neptune has got to be pretty helpful there. Mm, right. Yeah. And um, Paula Bellomini in the chat points out that Mercury is squared to Neptune, um, which I saw building, but it doesn't go exact until July 2nd. But that's definitely building up 
um, and will, I guess, because Neptune stationing could become more relevant in activating that square with Mercury a little bit earlier, so the potential for a lack of clarity or illusions or even deception in, in communication in that very late part of June and early part of July, um, just due to that Mercury-Neptune square? Yeah, some of the um, clear, quick, decisive movement from Mercury kind of blurring out and fading. Yeah, the only thing that um, I sort of, that I have, you know, in my thinking about as we're getting into this period is really just remembering that um, when Mars is that late in Aries, that means it's just about in Taurus, and that's going to be, you know, that, that'll be another, um, Mars is joining uh, Uranus and Rahu, um, and reactivating that square with Saturn, that's a whole nother round of stuff that we talked about plenty in the yearly. Yeah, that's a that, whole I believe that moves in on um, July the 4th. Yeah, that is the whole um, Mars and Taurus stuff and eventually the buildup to Mars conjoining Uranus and the North Node almost simultaneously at some point this summer. I think that was in August or August something. first or second. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is one of the standout configurations for this year. But we're going to have to save that discussion until next month. It's a cliffhanger. Yeah, we always got to leave it on a cliffhanger. It's like a Netflix series where you, you end the episode on a cliffhanger so that people come back for next time. Um, that is what we're doing here on the Astrology Podcast. Um, thank you both that, for joining me today. That's what the universe this, does with time. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's a good point. Like uh, every month. Well, I mean, the universe doesn't do it. I mean, the universe is probably experiencing time as like this wave or even like instantaneously in some sense because everything that it, you know will ever happen, every astrological alignment will, that will ever happen is already mapped out and we you can pick it up in an ephemeris and look at it in a book. It's just us and our limited perspectives as humans that experience time, you know, moving forward at this rate and in, in these segments or sequences that we sometimes break up. Um, but that might be more on us than it is on the universe. And so are, are we not the universe? Are we? Are we the universe experiencing itself? Um, maybe. I don't know. I, I heard that time was a giant golden serpent slowly unwinding. And then when it starts coiling again, time will be destroyed. And that made the most sense to me. All right, I'll take that. I'll, I'll I'll think about that, and we'll have to come back on that note next month for the forecast for <laughs> for July. We're ending. Check in with on the time serpent. Existential right. Neptune stationing things. Yeah, no, great call, yeah. great call. I like that. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Catherine, where can people find out more about your work? So you can find me on my website, katherineurban.com. I share my events and my blog posts. Um, I try to keep up with blog posts, but I have a baby. So sometimes I take the week off and spend time with my two-year-old, who is my whole world. But yeah, my website is where you can book consultations with me, get on my mailing list, stay up to date. I don't send out too many emails, I promise. And yeah, coming up, I have... Uh, the Astrology Gathering. It's a little conference in Lilydale, and that is going to be September 15th through 18th. Um, so I've got that going on. You can find that on my website. And yeah, I have a couple monthly meetups in the juggle that I do for astrologers who 
um, are wanting to develop and hone their knowledge a little bit. Um, I've got an open level that I'm creating right now. Um, and I also have an intermediate monthly meetup where we develop new techniques and deepen our knowledge in that way. So that's what I got going on right now. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, oh, last thing. I'm at Astro Catherine on all platforms. So on Instagram, tw Twitter, Twitter, Instagram. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And I would strongly recommend uh, people check out your YouTube channel as well, which is youtube.com slash Catherine Urban, just because you do a very good job of breaking down some of these individual alignments and planetary um, points that we're talking about into short, much more digestible videos than the like two hour long, deep, intensive dives that I do. And I think people should check out your channel and subscribe to it because they'd probably really enjoy it if they enjoyed some of the stuff that we talked about here in this episode. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, Austin, what do you have going on aside from diving into the fire of going straight to an astrology conference with like 500 people immediately after this? So, um, yeah, there's that. Um, hello to everybody I'm going to see in 24 hours. Um, and then as far as this month, um, teaching classes, um, Kate's going to, or planning on releasing, I think towards the end of the month, might be beginning of July, might be end of June, um, Sphere and Sundry's first ever lunar series. Uh, we waited until... Uh, <laughs> no more, no more malefics or nodes in Cancer and Capricorn, and nice benefics in Pisces to trine, um, to trine and support a Cancer Moon. So there's going to be some glorious Cancer Moon uh, materia coming out uh, before all, before too awful long. Again, you know, start paying attention like second half of um, of June. And in the meantime, there is a bunch of awesome stuff um, that's still not that's uh, not sold out yet. Uh, there's the FOMO hot stuff from that was released last month, which is awesome. And I think there's still some of the some good um, uh, there's some good Venus in Libra, really choice Venus in Libra from last year, and some of that that uh, that um, Regulus as well. Anyway, nice. so anyway, Moon stuff's coming out. It's gonna be awesome. So SpearandSundry.com. Yep, so. SpearandSundry. Com. And then your website is austincopic.com, right? Yep, but don't go there because I'm not doing anything this month. I'm teaching Stay classes away. that are all closed to the public. All now. right. Do not go to bother Austin's me at website, Norwalk, whatever you do. Um, bother Kate at spearandsundry.com. Okay. Good, good advice. Um, and as for myself, I'm just going to keep doing the astrology podcast. I'm starting to do local astrology meetings here in Denver at the Mercury Cafe. You can find out more about that by going to meetup.com and searching for the Denver Astrology Group. Patrick Watson's coming out in a couple of weeks, and we're going to do a workshop on rectification as well as record a new course on rectification over the course of a week. Um, I'm also going to keep doing the podcast, and if people enjoy this work or want to support that, the best way to do so is just sign up through my page on patreon.com and in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content like early access to new episodes or episodes that are exclusive only to Patreon members. So, all right. I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thank you both for joining me for this forecast. I really appreciate it. Thanks yeah, so much, Chris. Fun. This is really fun. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. Um, all right. That's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the podcast. And we'll see you again next time. Bye.
A special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline uh, basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com slash book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for both iPhone and Android at astrogold.io. There are also two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first is the Northwest Astrological Conference, happening May 26th through the 30th, 2022, near Seattle, Washington. Find out more information at norwak.net. And the second is the International Society for Astrological Research Conference, which is taking place August 25th through the 29th, 2022, in Westminster, Colorado. And you can find out more information about that at isar2022.org.